Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We are moving right along in our study of the book of Daniel. We studied chapter 1 last week, and we will cover a good portion of chapter 2 this week. Uh, Remember, as we get started, that one of the main points from the text last week was the sovereignty of God over the darkness. It is one of the main threads throughout the entire book. Uh, that God is in absolute control in all the events that we will see here in Daniel. Of course, this is one of the bedrock assumptions of the Christian faith in general, that God is in absolute control over all the events of human history. So in regard to Daniel, in chapter 1, verse 2, we see that God gave His people Israel into the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. God was using Nebuchadnezzar to discipline His people. He gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, who took them into exile in Babylon. Uh, So we remember that God is sovereign over this entire process of exile, of the exile of his people. So Daniel and his three buddies are, uh, you know, kind of some of the main characters in the story. They were four of the Israelites that were taken. As we talked about last week, they were immersed in this three years of kind of a Babylonian studies program. They were in training to be servants of the king of Babylon. Uh, The end of chapter 1 tells us that God gave them favor through that process, and there was none like them at the end of that process anywhere in Babylon. God gave these young men learning and skill and all literature and wisdom He gave Daniel understanding and visions and dreams, which we will see the significance of uh, this week and and next. So that it says, in every matter of wisdom and understanding, they were ten times better than all of the wise men of Babylon. So that kind of gave us a glimpse as to where they ended up. We know that's where they ended up. But chapter 2 takes us back to the middle of that process to show us a bit more about how God got them there. So follow as I read. Daniel chapter 2, we'll read verses 1 all the way to verse 30. And as I read, remember this is indeed the Word of God. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But... If you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can also show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, 
for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what, was, what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Amen. All right. Three main points I want us to see from our passage today. Uh, number one, the limitations of the powerful. Number two, the confounding of the wise. And number three, the faith of the faithful. First, the limitations of the powerful. So, King Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful king in the world at this time. He conquered Israel. Uh, he conquered Egypt. No one could match his wealth, his growing military prowess. And yet, he had bad dreams. You know, he's conquering the world and yet he can't sleep. Don't you know that God does this to powerful people to let them know that their power isn't that impressive? Come and look at my glorious kingdom. Look at all my wealth. Look at this palace made of the choicest ivory. Oh yeah, well, how'd you sleep last night? 
in that palace. No matter how much power and how much control someone acquires, there's always going to be a limit. There's always going to be a point at which God lets that person know that try as they might, there is only one God, uh, and they are not it. The scary thing is for those that are not God's people is that God would just let them chase this idol of power and control to the end um, their entire lives and not know anything of the futility of that chase until they die and meet the Lord. Though I think that most people find it frustrating and find uh, some measure of limitation in their quest along the way. And as for us, I mean, we, we can be drawn to that, can't we? The, the idol of power and control sparkles for us as well. Maybe that's in kind of a business sense or um, peer influence or whatever it is. But even just on a smaller level with, with children, we, you know, we want to have the power. We want to have the control. But um, when we are lured to those idols, God will crush them. God will make sure that we know uh, that we are not the ones in control. And sometimes that could be very painful for us. Other times, God is more gentle by exposing kind of the futility of that quest for power and control in others. This has been a consistent theme in my life. Certainly, God teaching me through pain that I'm not in control. But also, as I watch those around me, Um, quite a few people that I have been mesmerized by have been exposed. And the thing that I was mesmerized by was kind of their power, their wealth, their control um, over their life and and the opportunities that it afforded them. When I was in high school, it was a friend of mine's dad. They had um, the biggest house. They had the nicest things. They took the most expensive vacations, drove the nicest cars, and I just thought they were the cat's meow. And uh, I didn't have any spiritual depth at all, so I just thought they were living the life. You know, that was kind of the life that I wanted. I grew up in this area. I was looking at all these houses, and I thought, that's the best one. That's, and they had sort of an intact family, and I thought, you know, I want something like that, but if I could just have all of this with it. And then it came out how he had been getting his wealth. And uh, let's just say he was out of bounds. He got exposed. And looking back, I think of the kindness of God in that. Uh, For him, I actually ran into him after time in prison, and he was very humble. Um, He was, you know, seemed to be uh, really changed in the process. But also for many people who, like me, were mesmerized by his life, you know, just to show what it really was and how he was getting there. Uh, It was a fraud. You know, I wasn't yet connecting the dots between the absolute power and control of God Um, But it was helpful anyway for that to be exposed. And then also in my life, my three favorite athletes when I was growing up were Michael Jordan, Barry Bonds, and Tiger Woods. Uh, All three, the best in their sport at their time. Uh, Many would argue the best in their sport for all time, certainly Jordan, but also Woods and Bonds. And, you know, on top of the world at points. But then... Bonds was exposed for using steroids. Tiger was exposed for using women. And uh, though Jordan might not have had the same kind of scandal like they had, his life has ended up just as lost and just as empty. 
There is a fascinating article on ESPN written by Wright Thompson, who I tend to think is like the only good writer at ESPN. But um, he wrote this in-depth investigative article written for Jordan's 50th birthday. I can't remember exactly uh, what it's called, but if you just Google Michael Jordan 50th birthday, Wright Thompson, uh, it's a long read, but I would give it a read. And tell me how sad it is to chase the idol of power and control. Um, Thompson also wrote another piece recently about Tiger Woods, which is just as dark and just as sad. Again, these two people, you know, in my life from a distance, I never knew them, but um, that I was fascinated by and that were exposed just the futility of that chase. Which is kind of like the opening scene in Daniel chapter 2. As we peek into the inner turmoil of the most powerful man in the world. We need to be reminded this often because we can be mesmerized by, you know, the, the idols of wealth and power and control. So in Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing us the emptiness of the pursuit of those idols. And God is showing us that he is in absolute control and has absolute power. Uh, we didn't read this far today, but in verse 37, Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar where all the power and control comes from. He says, You, O king, king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, and into whose hands he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. God gave it. God has given you this power. God has given you all of your subjects of your kingdom um, so that you can rule. Only God is sovereign. Only God is in absolute control. Whatever power and control anyone else has is simply on loan from the one who owns it all and for as long as God sees fit. So with Nebuchadnezzar, we see the limitations of the powerful. And with the uh, wise men of Babylon, we also see the confounding of the wise. Nebuchadnezzar has troubling dreams. He needs to know what they mean, so he calls these magicians and enchanters, uh, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, which were like the astrologers. They study. The st and interestingly, it is thought that, this is an aside, but uh, the wise men that come when Jesus is born, it is thought that they knew about the Messiah because of Daniel and the Israelites that were in Babylon at that time. They would have been from this area, and they were like astrologers and stuff, uh, so they, we saw his star, you know, but they were connecting the dots with the coming of the Messiah because they had heard about him hundreds of years prior, which I think is pretty fascinating. Anyway, the wise men say, sure, no problem. Just tell us the dream. We'll interpret it for you. He says, no, you tell me the dream and the interpretation. Uh, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to destroy your household. But if you do, you'll have honor in my kingdom and you'll be great among the greatest. Uh, my Lord, there's not anyone on earth that can do this. Neither has any king ever asked this of his wise men. This is ridiculous. You know, only the gods can do this, but the gods don't dwell with man. So just as he has proven the limits of the powerful, he is also proving the limits of the wisdom of this world. And uh, again, doing this in order to prove his own power and wisdom. So in verse 27, we see this. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king this mystery. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. There is a God in heaven who has this wisdom and this power. Um, 
and who will give it. You know, not only did God do this then, but he still proves the limits of the powerful. He still confounds the wise of this world in order to show his power and his wisdom today. I think the example with Manny is a great example. Um, You know, as I prayed, we really do live, and we don't think about this probably enough, but we live in the most fortunate time in human history and the most fortunate nation in human history as far as medical progress, medical wisdom, medical insight, uh, the kinds of things that we have access to. It's really amazing. We, we have to remember that it all comes from God. He's the one that has given all of this insight. But, um, you know, maybe there's quite a few in the medical profession that think they're wiser than they are. Maybe they think they're the, the start and stop of this wisdom rather than it being given from God. Uh, and so from time to time, God will prove their limits in order to show his power and his wisdom. And I, don't, I mean, I think for us, it's just reminding us, you know, his people. Look, there's some great gifts here. You have some great resources here. Medical progress is great, but don't forget. Don't forget who is God. Don't forget where all of this comes from. So Manny goes to the best specialists around. No one can tell him what's wrong. The greatest specialist turns him away because he doesn't know what to do. And that same day or within a couple days, uh, you know, a sinful, flawed football coach puts his hand on him and trusts the Lord, prays for him, and God heals him. That is the confounding of the wise to prove God's wisdom and God's power. Again, in Nebuchadnezzar, God is showing us the emptiness of the pursuit of power and wealth and control Uh, And in the wise men of Babylon, God is showing us the limits of the wisdom of this world. But he is doing this to reveal his power and his wisdom. Only God is absolutely powerful and all wise. But on the other hand, with Daniel, God is showing us someone who understands this, right? There is a contrast uh, between Nebuchadnezzar, the wise men, and, and Daniel. So now let us look at the faith of the faithful. I want to show you five quick things about the faith of the faithful. First, in verse 16, we see the boldness of Daniel's faith. So we've already seen in the beginning of the chapter that the king is out of his mind angry. Uh, Daniel asking for time with the king is nothing short of risking his life. I mean, if this doesn't go well, it will not go well for Daniel. But he's bold in his faith in the Lord. He knows that God has all power and all wisdom, so he doesn't move away from the difficulty. He moves into it in faith. Now, um, we may not be facing the same kind of difficulty Daniel was facing, but we do know the same God, and so we can ask ourselves the question, do we operate with the same boldness of faith? Maybe an example in our lives would be uh, those people in our lives who don't know the Lord, and uh, we can ask ourselves, do we retreat in fear from engaging with them uh, because who knows what they'll think, and maybe I won't have that same relationship with them, or you know, maybe they'll be angry, or do we press further in with bold faith? The fear is natural, but how do we respond? 
You know, we think about the believers in Acts chapter 4 when uh, Peter and John were arrested for preaching Christ and they were commanded not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, to which they said something like, yeah, right. But uh, they go to meet with all of the other believers and they all pray together. And do you know what they prayed for? Boldness. They didn't pray for protection, though I don't think prayers of protection are necessarily sinful. You know, I pray for them often. Um, But they prayed for boldness to speak the word faithfully. So, uh, next time we recognize that same fear, when we have concern for someone's soul, we can pray against that fear by praying for boldness. And then exercise that boldness as we go and speak to them about the Lord. But, you know, not only in evangelism, maybe God has just put something on your heart, a real ministry need. I mean, maybe, you know, you're just, there are certain themes on Facebook as you look and you're just getting burdened for something that's out there that you you know needs help, but you don't even know where to start because it's such a big thing. Um, I think our tendency can be just to shut down in that when we're overwhelmed by the needs that are around us, the needs of our city, the needs of our world. But might we all push into those needs with boldness in faith? Even if just starting with a prayer, Lord, I confess I can do absolutely nothing about this, but I know that you can. And I pray that you would. And I pray that you would use me. Um, That's a good start. All right, next, in verses 17 and 18, we see the community of faith. So after Daniel gets on the king's calendar, he goes home, he tells his three friends, and he asks them to pray. And this isn't like, what have I done, you know, type situation. Uh, But he realizes he can't do what he has signed up to do. He realizes that only God can do it. I think this is a great example for all of us in... um, You know, just including others in our walk with the Lord, asking our church family for prayer. We do that in here intentionally, and I'm glad that many have uh, shared prayer requests in here. I think that's certainly a good thing. But maybe there's something, you know, that you don't want to share in here. Maybe there's something that you wouldn't wouldn't be appropriate to share in here, uh, but that you could recruit a couple people to pray with you. You know, there's power. In the prayers of God's people, uh, power that is often underestimated by God's people. And one of the uh, blessings and byproducts of that is that this is often a significant community uh, blessing as well. It's a great way to grow our bond with our brothers and sisters in Christ. For any of you who have gone through things where you've asked people to pray, I see Anne nodding her head. It's like, yeah. You know, you ask people to pray and people come alongside you and it just, you have a deeper friendship and fellowship with people. Um, I know that's true for so many of us. I think it's been one of the significant ways that God has grown a community of believers here is through trials in our lives as we've asked others to come alongside and pray. Um, I was talking to Jerry about Manny after he had been healed and Jerry was Jerry is in the financial industry, and he, he went through a real major life-changing trial in his business, uh, I don't know, five to seven years ago. And he was just reflecting on, he said, you know what, after all that, it showed, because his primary kind of hub of his life, I think, at that point, 
He was a believer, but it was really his industry. And that just exposed the uh, lack of depth in those relationships as he came into some real need and didn't have real support to match the depth of the need. But he was reflecting on this thing with Manny, which is another trial uh, that has been, he's come to know his own helplessness. And he said, man, it's just amazing to know the power of uh, prayer, but also just the strength in the fellowship of the body of Christ. He, they've just been overwhelmed and thankful for their church. And uh, might that be an encouragement to us all to do the same, to invite other people in. And even for those that may not feel quite yet at home at Grace of Anne, I think this is a great way, again, to build, build more significant friendships. It's like, you know, we could go and have dinner and we should do that. But let's be honest. I have some real things going on in my life. I'd really like for you to pray with me on that. Would you do that? And uh, I, I think, number one, God will hear our prayers. But number two, uh, that is a great way to forge deeper friendships in Christ. All right. Next, in verse 18, we also see uh, Daniel and his friends' dependence in faith. So prayer is the practice of depending on the Lord. Dependence is the place of health in the Christian life. Daniel was bold in his faith in the Lord. He knew God could reveal uh, this dream and deliver him, but he was equally aware that he couldn't do it. He couldn't produce what needed to be produced. He was utterly dependent on God to show up. As we talk about in here often, God will often orchestrate the events in our lives uh, so that we cannot manage them. They are not able to be managed under our strength and our control. Things that we don't have resources for, that we don't have the wisdom for, um, so that we will depend on Him, on His strength and on His wisdom. You cannot do what God is calling you to do in your strength. But with God, all things are possible. All right, next, in verses 20 to 23, we see Daniel worship in faith. God answered their prayers uh, and revealed the dream to Daniel. And in response, Daniel was overcome with gratitude and thanksgiving. He thanked God, he praised God, he worshiped, he worshiped the Lord. This reminded me of the 10 lepers in Luke 17. They're all 10 in the text crying out to Jesus for healing. They had leprosy, which was terrible disease. He healed all of them, but only one of them returns to praise him. And uh, he says to them, go, your faith has made you well. He's, he's identifying true faith. You know, everybody's asking, and yeah, I can distribute healing to whoever I want to, but the one that had true faith was the one that returned to him and praised him. Worship, praise, thanksgiving is the natural outflow of our faith in the Lord. And finally, in verse 27, we see the humility of Daniel's faith. Uh, Daniel has just been given the dream and its interpretation. He goes before the king. He asks to make it known to the king. And his, his response is what we read before. No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made this known to King Nebuchadnezzar. You know, Daniel makes it clear. He's not the one making this known. It is God who reveals mysteries. He is the one doing this. How often 
do we try to take credit for what God has done? It all comes from him. Even I've noticed in my own thoughts, and I've heard other people say the same, when that coach laid his hand on Manny and prayed, and the question is, well, who's that coach? Forget the coach. God healed him. The coach doesn't matter. The coach matters. He had faith in the Lord. He, he stepped out in faith. But ultimately, the story here is about God. How often do we get distracted and, and look to the means and not to God? All wisdom, all understanding, all power, everything we have, every bit of it, every dime, every ounce of work ethic, every relationship, whatever it is, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything comes from the hand of God. All right, to bring it to a close, I want to go back to verses 20 to 23 and look at some of the content of Daniel's worship. Uh, This is actually the backbone of the chapter spelling out God's sovereignty and wisdom. Verse 20, to God belong wisdom and might. There is no wisdom, there is no might that does not originate from God. Whatever wisdom, whatever might anyone might have, uh, believer or unbeliever, it's on loan from God. So in our text, God has shown the limitations of the powerful, the confounding of the wise, and he has done so to drive us to him who is all-powerful and all-wise. Verse 21, he is in control of the times and seasons. He puts kings into power and he removes them from power. He gives wisdom and understanding to those who have it. There is no ruler in history who has come to power on his own. God appoints kings, God appoints prime ministers, God appoints presidents. Some of them are good, some of them are bad. But God appoints them all and governs them all for his own purposes. We're going to talk about this more next week as we get into more of the uh, specifics of the dream. But even now, as we think maybe about the volatility of our own president... Or as we think about uh, the terrible that could happen on the world scale if North Korea were to have the fraction, just a fraction of the capacity of what they're thought to have, might we be driven to call on the one who has appointed these rulers and who governs these rulers for his purposes? Only God, truly, can do anything about the things that we might fear. Um, I going to Turkey, you know, but that God has appointed the king and his time, their times are in his hand. Um, All right, verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He is the source of knowledge and wisdom. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. There's actually great comfort here for us when we think about the sovereignty of God over the darkness. Uh, God reveals deep and hidden things to us. He reveals the secrets that we need in order to endure through these trying times in our lives. But that doesn't mean that he reveals everything to us, right? There's much of our Christian life where we still feel a little bit in the dark. There will be many times uh, where we don't really know up from down and we don't really know what God is doing, but we can take comfort because not only does it say that God is in control over times and seasons, not only is he in control over the darkness, but he knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him.
And not only does light dwell with him, but in contradiction to what the pagans in Babylon thought, he dwells with us. So in verse 11, the wise men of Babylon said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we can't tell you what dream you had. Only the gods can do that. And they don't dwell with flesh. On the contrary, there aren't gods but God. There is one true God. And indeed, he does dwell with flesh. In fact, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, who in 1 Corinthians 1.24 is also called the power of God and the wisdom of God. He died for our sins. He rose to new life. He is now enthroned as the true King of kings and Lord of lords. All power and authority has been given to Him. He governs all things. All power, all wisdom come from Him. He governs the darkness. He knows what is in the darkness. The light dwells with Him. He is the light of the world. And not only that, but He has sent His Holy Spirit so that even now, He is in our midst. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word, which is timeless and true. Thank you for how applicable it is even to our times. Lord, uh, thank you for showing us the limitations of the powerful. Thank you for confounding the wise. Lord, we confess that we are often drawn away to pursue these idols apart from your hand of power and wealth and control and wisdom. Lord, uh, we likewise confess that we know that our sins are forgiven in Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins, and uh, we, we do uh, understand, uh, even with limited understanding, that all good things come from your hand. So thank you. Thank you for the wealth and the authority and the responsibility uh, that you have given to us. Thank you for the wisdom that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for every good and perfect thing that you have given in our lives. Uh, pray that you would help us to be good stewards of them. I pray uh, that you would help us to be like Daniel and uh, to be bold in our faith. Um, Lord, that we would involve others in our faith, that we would have the courage to uh, be honest with what's really going on and, and bring others into the fold. Thank you for doing that here already and uh, pray that you would continue even more. Lord, help us to be humble in our faith. Uh, we continue to pray that you would make us strong in our faith and uh, that we would continue to follow you. Use us, Lord, as a light to those around us. Use us uh, to show your grace and mercy through us. And uh, we do pray that you would focus our hearts and minds to you, that, that when you work powerfully, uh, we would not be distracted by the means that you used, but that we would be quick to return thanks and give glory to you. In that vein, we thank you for healing Manny. Uh, thank you for showing your power and your wisdom. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you for this time together, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we do have a few minutes. If uh, anybody has any thoughts or questions about this, or if you have an application that you want to extend something we were talking about. Anyone? I thought it was interesting how um, Daniel has 
such faith that he, you know, is willing to make an appointment with the king, you know, before he is even knows if God's going to grant him. Yeah. That. And they mentioned that. But then when Ariok brings him before the king, like, even he was like, well, I found. Uh, it really still all about him. Like, oh, yeah. this guy who can interpret your dream. Yeah. And Daniel again. Because so there's a promotion in this for Ariok. I mean, he's he's come up with this guy. Look what I've done. I'll take a little credit for this as opposed to Daniel still says no. Like, there, the other guys were right. Like, there's no one else that could do this. Yeah. This is really just from God. And That's awesome. It's just kind of a neat contrast. Very good. Anyone else? Just piggybacking, I think, the, the point that you made about how, how quickly we're tempted to focus on the means of mm-hmm. God's grace and mm-hmm. His many opportunities we have to glorify him mm-hmm. when um, when we do when we take that focus off of ourselves or others you know that he's using and um, you know learn certainly learn from how God is working and um, how we can join in that mm-hmm. that work but um, really continue to focus and, and give glory to yeah to him and, what he's doing. and this is contagious you know if we really live this way I mean um, it's encouraging to all the other brothers and sisters in Christ, but if not just thanking God for the meals, which did come from Him, and we ought to thank Him for them, but everything, if every good thing in our life comes from God, um, that our habit and practice, and I, you know, I said the natural or the, uh, the response of true faith is that of thanksgiving and praise and worship, and that's true, but we have to cultivate that. It may not be as fully developed in our life as it could be. Certainly it's not. But just the habit and practice of returning thanks, giving thanks, uh, where giving credit where credit is due will grow in us more of the capacity to do that. Just think about like the pressure you feel, you, you know, when you feel convicted to share your faith with somebody, you get all wrapped up in, but what am I going to say? Yeah. And is this the right time and how am I going to do it? And you know, should I should I say this? Should I not say that? And when you realize, like, God is at work, mm-hmm. and if I could just get out of the way mm-hmm. and stop worrying about the specifics of what He's going to do, mm-hmm. make the appointment, you know, and show up. Right, show up and let Him work. Um, you know, I just think. Even you know, that's a good point. I mean, even if there's a we, we tend to think we have to share the, our faith on the spot, like as the conversation happens and, oh, that was a good opportunity. And, you know, but what would be wrong with an intentional follow up of like, you know, hey, we were at such and such and something you said made me think about this. Is it, would you like to get coffee and talk more about that? You know, about these are some things I was thinking about. And I mean, that's just a way we can kind of do what Daniel was doing in a smaller capacity. But just um, we trust God is at work. You know, and we're going to trust that he's going to provide what we need here. It's just a good, good way to do it because he set up the appointment with the king. You know. Anyway, anybody else? All right, good thoughts. And I do see uh, lots of people standing up. I am. We're coming up on budget season, and so I'm going to ask that we get new chairs. <laughs> Tell them, listen, people, we're not teenagers anymore. All right. We might need another thing of coffee, too.
And another thing of coffee. I'll, I'll think about that. 